this episode, we're going to be delving into the legal side of buying your first home. What's in a contract? What's not in a contract? And what questions should you be asking your lawyer or conveyancer? Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Now, we've got a new workshop that we're bringing to you. It's the Stepping Stone Strategy Workshop. We're running this live, online live. Online uh, live. Online live. (laughs) On Saturday, 19th of June from 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And you get to do the workshop, but also ask us loads of questions. Looking forward to it. I'm quite excited about this one, actually, because we ran a poll and we asked people, what do you want from us next? What part of our brain do you want to pick? And it was rent versing versus stepping stone strategy and more than double the amount of people wanted the stepping stone strategy. So if you want to make sure that your first property does the heavy lifting to make sure that your dream home will be achievable in the future, then the Stepping Stone Strategy Workshop is the place to come to get the foundation steps right so that you get that first purchase on the ladder right and then can step towards the dream home. Now, to find out more, look at homebuyeracademy.com.au forward slash SSW. It's that simple, but we will put the link in the show notes. These live workshops, we only do them a few times a year and they're Mm -hmm. fantastic. So please join us. Today we have an expert guest to help us navigate the complex legal side of buying a property. Jenny Tonner is joining us and she brings along literally decades of conveyancing experience. Thanks, Jenny. Nice to see you. Welcome, Jenny. Nice to see you both and thank you for having me. (laughs) For some people, they'll be listening to the podcast. They won't be seeing us, but that's okay. Jenny's looking great. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny, um, can we kick off with an explanation as to why a buyer needs to get legal advice and when they should do that? Yes. Um, So you need to get legal advice because when you buy a property, you're actually entering into a legal contract, a legally binding contract with the owner. And that contract contains various obligations and warranties in it that a purchaser must comply with or state is true and correct. So you need to understand what those obligations are and what it means if you 
cannot make those obligations or conditions under the terms of those contracts. Most obvious being if you can't make the settlement date, if you can't complete. So that's why you need someone to look at that contract, explain those terms so that you are fully aware of what you're entering into and what those obligations are before you pay a deposit and commit to purchase. There's also obligations on the seller's behalf that are outlined in that contract too, aren't they? And, and things the seller does and doesn't have to do that the buyer should be aware of? Yes. Yeah, so under every contract, uh, a vendor has what are called prescribed documents and prescribed warranties by legislation that governs that contract. Now well we're talking about New South Wales. I'll just point out we're talking about New yeah. South Wales here, vastly different in different states, vastly but yet different, in, yeah. in New South Wales. So, yeah. so a vendor must disclose certain documents by attaching them to the contract, uh, title searches, planning certificates, sewer diagrams. Um, and if you've got, uh, you know, if you've done renovations, you should be attaching compliance certificates, evidence of consent. Um, if you're acting on the sale of a strata, you should be disclosing whether you're aware of special levies, anything that may impact the value occupational use of the property uh, that a vendor is specifically aware of, they must disclose those under those prescribed warranties. Um, and then outside of that, a purchaser needs to test that by asking relevant questions to the vendor before you enter into a contract and then during exchange and completion through the requisitions on title. So this is an interesting, interesting, very, very meaty topic, okay? Now, we, we <laughs> do go into this um, in your first home buyer guide because we need, uh, well, first home buyer, every buyer needs to understand the obligations that they're entering into, but also what has to be disclosed by the vendor and what isn't disclosed by the vendor or doesn't have to be disclosed and what you have to find out yourself. And so this is very different in different states. Now, Jenny, I know that in a previous uh, job that you've had or a previous role before you set up your own business, you worked across other jurisdictions, so not just in New South Wales, but now you're obviously licensed in New South Wales. Can you give us sort of some examples of what is different in other states? Because I know that in New South Wales, the vendor disclosure is um, higher or the level that they have to disclose is higher than pretty much anywhere else. But I don't believe it's even enough. I actually think it should be more. But that's that's a totally different issue. Um, what's the difference between New South Wales and other states? Well, it comes down to the state legislation because in New South Wales, they say that certain things have to be disclosed through documentation or warranties but it doesn't cover everything. It doesn't cover the state and condition and repair of the property. You've got to go do that yourself, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But other states like Queensland basically put the onus all on the purchaser to go and do that themselves. Mm. We are not disclosing, we are not warranting anything, you do it. Um, the same, I think, in WA. It's been over 10 years since I've done something in WA, so I don't know if there's changes there. In South Australia and Victoria, they have things called vendor disclosure statements, well, again, they are required under those statements to disclose things, but they're also limited. They do require the purchaser to do their own form of checking and due diligence mm. in relation to some things with the properties and ask those questions uh, through their solicitor conveyancer uh, before entering into the contract. And that's why you need that advice there because we know what the contract should say, what it's not saying, what we should be asking. 
That's such a good thing. Such a good point. Yeah. yeah. Because, because you don't know what to ask, do you? That's it. And, and then you really need that guidance of, of um, you know, a, a solicitor asking really good questions because, of course, the, the composer or solicitor hasn't seen the property. So the buyer has to know, you know, give some hints to the conveyancer to say, you know, well, it's a renovated house. Oh, okay. Well, we need to seek mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. documentation exactly. that shows yeah. that it has the appropriate certification. So, as a buyer, there's a real, you know, you really need to know the right questions to ask of the conveyancer to make sure you get the right searches back because uh, you're not mind readers either, are you? No, and I don't see the property. So where I can, as part of my review, I will always go look for the agent's advertisement because that gives me an indication of whether what you said, renovations have been done. Mm. So where an advertisement and where an agent will highlight, isn't this fantastic? This (laughs) has got a studio and a cottage out the back. And isn't this fantastic? You could use this as your home office or Airbnb or blah, blah, blah. My head, I'm going, have they got council consent for that or did they just pop that up over the weekend, put some drainage in? Because if council become aware of that and and it hasn't been complied and consented to, there's a notice on your property saying pull it down or go get the consent. They're the, they're the kind of thing. Strata, uh, it's the same with the strata unit. If I can see a picture of the strata units and clearly see that new floorboards have been put down. <laughs> we were just know. talking about this, weren't we? Yeah, I need to know that there's an owner's consent for that, there's a bylaw for that, they've complied with the insulation requirements so that if you move in, you're not going to... Have, Excuse the language, but piss all your neighbours off because you went <laughs> with your high heels on the, yeah. and you had no idea that the uh, previous owner um, left because they angered all their neighbours because they didn't comply with their requirements under the bylaws. It's like I've, such I've dealt with a big before. one in apartment complexes, isn't it? Because people are more and more moving away from carpet, and carpet, you know, has that insulation property to it, and and muffles a lot of the noise. So as people are renovating and upgrading their their apartments, it's such an important question to ask of the of the of the seller and the conveyancer to actually do the right searches on that. Yeah, so this this is interesting for so many reasons, but one of them is that. You know, okay, let's just, I want I want you to explain the difference between lawyers and conveyances in a moment. Mm. Um, but the thing is with lawyers, a lot of people think, oh, you've got to use a lawyer because, oh, well, they've got a law degree as opposed to what a conveyancer has and, and you're going to explain that. But not all lawyers know anything about property. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, my God, Veronica, <laughs> you and I have done this together. Um, <laughs> yes. So, Okay. We don't have a full degree. We have a partial degree, and that's specific to property. So we can't act in litigation. We can't go to court. We can't give tax advice, that type of thing. Our qualifications and our license allows us to act purely in relation to conveyancing. In so it's very specialised. So it's very specialised. It's mm-hmm. like you go to a general practitioner to talk to them about an ailment and that they'll have a broad range of, like a GP, have a broad range of knowledge on all subjects, but they're not a specialist in a particular area. They'll refer you off to specialists. Not discounting foot law degrees, you know, absolutely, absolutely worth, you know, having and uh, certainly great lawyers out there. I'm not saying it. I worked 20 years in the two largest law firms in the country and all of my experience and knowledge has come from the mentoring I got from there. But saying that, conveyancing 
we still have exactly the same professional indemnity insurance requirements as a lawyer does. We still have the same professional compliance standards. We have the same education requirements, continuing education requirements each year. And we have the same auditing and compliance requirements on our trust accounts as a lawyer does. So everything in relation to the practice and running a business and running a conveyancing business is exactly the same. We mm. take the same risk as a lawyer does. We just are specialists. We are, that's all we can do. Yeah. Okay. I want to, I want to delve a little bit more into that because, um, uh, there's a proliferation of cut price conveyancing firms offering very discounted rates for, um, uh, a, a, you know, and actively advertising very discounted rates. Now, I, I've got a, I've, I really want us to differentiate between a professional conveyancing firm and a cut price conveyancing firm. Um, Jenny, uh, you're certainly not a cut price conveyancing firm. You, you've professionally worked with Veronica for a long time. Um, Tell me what what are some of the things that you've seen that have people have got into trouble or, or or challenges people have faced if they've gone for the cheapest option and something comes up in the process? Well, I've had a lot of experience with these firms because they're acting on the other side of transactions that right. I'm on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, okay. And right. yeah, or, good. or I've ended up with a client afterwards saying we did that and we've regretted it. The main is that they're just not contactable. They're not contactable and a lot Absolutely. of it is robotic robotic mm-hmm. responses because mm-hmm. that's how they keep the price down. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also try and they can't do it so much now we've gone electronic with our settlements, but in the old and other uh, older days where we had paper, they would push all the fees onto the other side. So if they didn't serve this within a date, if they didn't do this within a date, and they were charging in some of these contracts up to three thousand dollars more onto the other person on the transaction for doing their work. So, but now what I see commonly on the other side of a transaction, we can't contact them. We can't chase them. They don't deliver things when they're meant to. They don't perform and uh, put documents in the workspace. They don't chase their banks and they fail to meet completion dates a lot. Mm-hmm. What that means to a purchaser where they act for that is that exposes them to the default interest in the contract. And then that puts them at risk of losing their deposit. So I understand that people are looking to save money when they're buying property when they can. But Veronica and I have talked about this before. This is, it's so important to get the right advice um, and have someone who's acting on your behalf and that you know is looking out for you and doing it. Um, we all, all conveyances have fixed fees, but what we as an industry see, and I'm on the board of New South Wales Institute now, is we're seeing this cut price and what we're seeing time and time again is they don't have the level of experience they should have yep. and they don't understand the law and they don't understand the impact to their client uh, by not knowing the law. There's, there's a care factor there too, Jenny, I want to touch on too because you said it yourself. You'll have a look at the ad. When when a purchaser comes mm-hmm. to you with a contract, you'll have a look at the ad. It, it sparks a, a line of questioning that only a human can really undertake and, and it's it's a it's an experience and an interpretation and, a, and a, oh, it's got this, we need to think about this. 
if you've sent a contract off to a, a firm that is largely robotic, there is not that that care factor is not going to be there, is it? There, there's no investigation going to be done. You'll be sent a list of searches and asked which searches you want the conveyancer to undertake, and you then have to know how would you which know? ones. How, how would you? How would you, you know, know when you've never never done how this before? But exactly. isn't the point that isn't the point is this is your biggest financial commitment to date as a first time buyer. Don't you want the person who's helping you do that um, feel confident that they are on your side and looking after you mm. and, and, and know what to ask and what to order? Um, and I don't, look, I've had clients come to me saying, we, we didn't even have the contract explained to us. And that's terrifying because yeah. uh, I can't even sign a 66W certificate waiving a calling off period without me saying I've explained the contract to someone. So mm. that's telling me they're automatically in breach of that section of the law because they haven't done that. Yeah. Yes, I Big have come across, mm. uh, we've spoken about this before, about the in New South Wales you need a 66W certificate if you want to waive the cooling off period and you might think, why as a buyer would I waive my cooling off period? Well, if you're going to go to auction, um, you buy without a cooling off period and if you're buying in a hot market or you're trying to mm. buy an, a property prior to auction, you're going to have to waive that cooling off period because it's competitive and a, another buyer will. So in order to do that, you have to go and get your contract reviewed by a lawyer or a conveyancer and they will issue that certificate. Now, we've again, that's New South Wales, not that other states. That is just New South Wales. And now, I, I'm constantly amazed that in Queensland, you can actually waive your own cooling off period without actually understanding. You just without sign having, a form. You just without sign having a form. requested. We don't recommend one this document. <laughs> It's nuts. Do you we not don't do it. recommend this at all. <laughs> no. uh, so it is state by state differences. Mm. Um, in in Queensland, you can just sign a document waiving the cooling off period without getting any legal advice. Do not do this. No. <laughs> now, Jenny, I remember the first time that I met you. We actually interviewed you on the Elephant uh, in the Room podcast, and you talked about all the sorts of things that you know people are. Uh, completely unaware of and in particularly uh we i remember the the fear that sort of ice ran through my veins when you talked about <laughs> contracts put together by developers uh for brand new property and if you want to give us a bit of a rundown of why they might be a bit different to say the contract may be drawn up by, you know, Ma and Pa down the road when they're selling their unit. You know, what is the difference in a, and what do first home buyers need to be aware of, apart from the obvious risks associated with buying brand new and buying off the plan, but what's the difference in a contract for buying that? Well, it's the difference between a conditional contract and an unconditional contract. And what you're buying is built and what you can see what you're buying as opposed to something that is on a plan and is being promised to be built to you. So you're entering into a contract on the promise that a vendor will be building and will deliver a unit based on something you've been shown in a showroom in an agent's office. Um, and it will be fitted out with various uh, schedule of fixtures and fittings. Um, and uh, on completion, you will, have an, you, will have, you, will, you will buy this unit and it will be what it is. Now, there are a lot of provisos in an off-the-plan contract that aren't in a normal contract. One is a sunset date. You have to have, when you've got a uh, conditional contract that's subject to things being built, 
and things being delivered, you have to have a sunset date. You can't have a never-ending completion. You have to have a date in which if something hasn't happened by that date, either you either party can rescind and walk away or you have a right to extend. And that's so that it doesn't go on forever because you're, you're sitting there, you're committed under a legally binding contract which you can't get out of. You've paid a deposit that's sitting there in a, in a trust account of an agent or a vendor solicitor and it's there. And until that sunset date is reached, you have no rights to try and get it back. Um, now, what we're, we're seeing less and less of it Who's now. Who's that protecting, Jenny? It's protecting both parties. It's basically saying they're legally committed to, to complete the contract, but it's not released to the vendor until settlement. I, um, I actually remember a period of time where we were having rapid price growth and developers were frustrating contracts in order yes. to um, invoke the, the sunset clause. Yeah. Uh, so that we're not doing the development, they're invoking the sunset clause, yes. reselling at higher prices because they, they realised that, you know, the market had moved in such an upward direction that, that yes. they could get more money. So yeah, that, that's, right. that's a, you know, and as a buyer, that, that there was nothing that those buyers in those contracts could do no, except pay right. the higher price. But they can't do that in New South Wales now because uh, okay. I think it was when Mike Baird was still in government he brought that in where they can't do that. They, they uh, basically can't delay completion to get to that sunset date and exercise that right. They have to show, like, they have to be committed. And that's mm. exactly what was happening. People were buying, mm. but they were entering into these contracts with four to five year sunset dates. And the capital gain in that period was so high at that time that buyers were, were benefiting the capital gain by on selling. And we can talk about one right. because that's a whole other can of work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I think that's a whole podcast topic. That's that a one. whole podcast. <laughs> but um, you'll have like, you'll have some contracts will have sunset dates of three years. That's telling me they've at least got development consent and they'll be, they'll be breaking ground. If they've got sunset dates of four to five years, that's telling me they haven't got development consent yet maybe not even financing to build. What a piece and, of gold. And that only comes from experience, that uh -huh. one. But like, so I personally will say to my clients, can you think about this? Because I've had clients in this situation. One was he, he uh, got transferred overseas halfway through the development. So by the time it came to settle, because he was living overseas, his lending capacity had dramatically reduced and he couldn't complete. And we had to rush around oh. and get the sale done. And another fellow, he bought it as a single young man, uh, put down 80000 Four years later, they still hadn't broken ground because they still hadn't got the consent that they wanted. And he had met his partner by that stage and they wanted to buy something. And he just wanted, his life had changed. His circumstances had changed. It's mm. a long, long runway, isn't it? Four or five and years. So to I was be very lucky with him because that contract was so appalling. <laughs> um, that I just went hammer and tong and got him out of it and got his deposit and then they went and bought a place together, an existing one, <laughs> not an off the plan. <laughs> an established <laughs> property. Because this is the thing too that if the market, I mean, you're taking a risk when you're buying something. It's like you're buying futures, right? I, I'm betting that whatever I pay today is going to be less than what it's worth tomorrow but that's not necessarily the case and then in in cases where it's it's actually it is worth less than what it's worth tomorrow in four years time prices have gone up how much more could they have gone up if i actually went and bought a more appropriate property for myself that was brand new and i could have been living 
it the whole time. Oh, so it wasn't brand new, I should say, and and I could have been living in it the whole time. So there's there's massive missed opportunity just as Big life opportunity costs. Yeah, as yeah. life gets in the way, basically. Yeah, of and course I think it can have... go the other way too. Let's mm. not forget that we can lose money between the date of the contract and the price you paid, and when that property settles, it can go backwards. It just doesn't always go up. And I think I think sometimes first time buyers can get caught up in what 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 benefits do I get from the government because mm, I'm buying yeah. up the plan, and you've got to weigh that up in terms of the reality of the build and and that period of growth. Like, you know, it, yes, you might not get the stamp, you might get stamp duty exemption, but what does that mean long term when you weigh up what the cost could be to you in five years time? Like we're just all reading from the same hymn book, aren't we? There's a whole podcast just on off the plan. You know, we talk defects and defects periods because mm. every new build will have defects and what your yep. rights are there, your what the quality of inclusion. So your schedule of finishes should have brand names in terms of the brand of the appliances mm. because mm. there's a clause in every contract that says they might not be able to source that brand so they must replace it with, uh, I will say, quality, the same quality and value, so that if they're advertising, you know, the place fitted out with Smeg, say, you want that to be replaced with something equivalent to Smeg, mm. not something from, you know, Bunnings or, or, or whatever, whatever. We won't is. bang on too much about, if you bun it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we won't bang on too much about this because we don't necessarily recommend yeah. in the course that people buy off plan, but we want to raise people's awareness and that's the really important thing. If a developer hands you or an agent hands you a contract, that is that has to be looked at by your legal advisor and appropriate changes suggested. Now it's up the to the other side as to whether they agree to the changes. Yeah. The most important thing with that, Megan, is that they will be trying to commit them to enter into a contract in the display plate room mm. with a cooling off period. That's uh, all part of the deal, right? And yep. then and then I and special I'll, deal for you right now. Right now, if you commit to this, and you'll have a ten day cooling off period uh, to get your deposit organised and get your contract looked at by your conveyancer. Guess what? Like, yep, I have the ability in those ten days to look at a contract and ask for changes. They have no legal obligation to agree to any of it. Mm. So always get your conveyancer to look at it before you sign a contract. That's so important. If that's the only one thing you take away from me today, please do that. Of course, with the cooling off period, there's a penalty if you withdraw under the cooling off period as well. So it's not, um, it's, it's, it's much, much more important to have the advice before you sign the contract than after because it could end up costing you money if you've got to get out of that contract under cooling off. And that's yeah. not just for brand new properties. That's mm. for any property you're buying with a cooling off period. And and I have to mm. say, when I first met you, Jenny, I actually didn't know that because we buy very little with a cooling off. Um, and and yeah. I, I'd even said to people, oh, you know, you can get your contracts, you know, reviewed and contract changes in the period in that period of time. It's what I was taught in in, prop, in in the real estate office that I sold in. As I said, I very, very, very rarely sold anything with a uh, cooling off period, but that's what we told people. And agents, it's a bit like the agents that say, oh, great investment when they're selling a property. <laughs> agents say stuff that they don't know. They, they all the time, they say things that they don't know. Good job to sell the property. Yes, the exactly time. right. You just, your conveyance to consult that out in the cooling off period. Talk that out it's for easy. you. It's easy. It's mm. easy. 
No problems. <laughs> so, and I think that that's a really good point because there, you know, there are times on a Saturday afternoon when agents are signing up contracts in their office, you know, no lawyers seen, seen it. Their buyers, they're sitting there going, okay, well, I've got five-day five, five day cooling off period, which is standard in standard in New South Wales and um, Queensland. You know, yeah. I've got till 5 p.m. on next Friday to, to get everything sorted, all good. Um, and, you know, most of the time it probably will be fine, but there will be times and when it won't be and you don't want to get caught out and just worth, it's just worthwhile waiting till Monday and getting your contract reviewed by by your solicitor or conveyancer. What, so what does happen? What other than the fact you can't necessarily change the, the, um, the contract in a cooling off period, what else happens when you sign a contract with a cooling off period? So with a cooling off period and under the cooling off provisions, uh, you put down 0.25% of the purchase price. And what that effectively does and why this legislation came in was because so many people were being gazumped. Um, by, you know, they had an offer and acceptance with a vendor. They'd go and often start getting their pest and building report, finalising their finance, and then the vendor would go and gazump them. Um, and so it allows a purchaser to put down a bit of money, not the full deposit, uh, go complete their due diligence, but, and it takes the property out of the market for five business days so the vendor cannot sell to someone else. And then by the end of the five days, if, if everything, all the boxes are ticked, you pay the balance of the 10% deposit and the contract goes unconditional. If you can't proceed or you don't want to proceed uh, for, uh, for any reason, um, you have the right to rescind, um, but the vendor is entitled to that 0.25% because you've taken their property out of the market for five days. So an agent can still show the property in that five days, but they must advise any one going and looking at the property that it's under a cool off um, so they can't take any offers but uh, they, they certainly can't negotiate to sell to anyone during that period. Now, okay. gazumping's an interesting thing, isn't it? So gazumping is where you've had your offer accepted and a deal struck and then someone else comes in with a higher one and the agent slash vendor sells the property to them and not to you. Now, there's ways, you know, um, in various states to avoid that and you can sign a, a contract very easily in Queensland for instance a conditional contract and avoid that but yep. in as you said Jenny the the legislation in New South Wales is that um the cooling off period was provided for that reason but gazumping isn't illegal is it really no. I mean, a lot of people think it's it's wrong it shouldn't happen but it's actually not illegal and so really the only way to make sure that you don't get gazumped is to actually enter into a binding agreement correct that's right yeah that's right and that's the whole reason why the cooling off legislation was created i'm showing my age here now but <laughs> i i started when there was no cool off and it was happening all the time mm. um to people and and it brought it in as a relief for purchasers to try and go and get their due diligence, get their finance approval, get their pest and building reports or strata reports without fear of spending all that money and time and then losing out because someone's offered them the vendor five thousand more. Um, so that was the whole point of it. And mm. you use that five day period to go get your pest and building to get your finance. Uh, because you can't make a contract in New South Wales subject to finance approval. You can't do it in New South Wales. The laws won't let you do it. 
I know you can in Queensland, but you yep. can't do it. The consumer credit code legislation doesn't allow you to do that in New South Wales. So you can only exercise the cooling off provisions to to do that. Oh, how mm. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's a lot more seller disclosure, but a little bit less protection. Well, not protection, but you have to actually be in a binding, binding contract with and use the cooling off period in order yeah. to get that final finance approval yeah. valuation done and so forth. Yeah. yeah, different in Queensland where you can make an offer that is subject to building and pest inspection, subject to finance, subject to body corporate record search, um, and these are all because there is so much less uh, seller disclosure in yeah. Queensland and and, yeah. and the owners, that, you know, cave it to let the buyer beware. So the buyer has a lot more onus on themselves to do the right levels of, of of investigations to satisfy themselves as to the, the pros and cons of the property yeah. um, and, and you can't be exempt in that time because it is a binding contract. Yes, yes, and that, that's right, but we don't have that in New South yeah. Wales. So okay. you can only exercise the cooling off provisions to give you that ability to go enter into a contract, get a property off the market and go complete your due diligence. And the thing, and Which the reality is-, is in Sydney, the demand is so high in Sydney that cooling off is very rarely offered. Mm. Yeah, right. Because no vendor is going to take their property out of the market for one buyer when they've got six other buyers wanting to buy it. That's exactly right. Good, and good, good observation of the market at the moment. And of course, we're in uh, we're in end of February 2021, which is you know, absolutely. If you're listening to this at a different point in time, uh, the market might be different, and there might mm. be different opportunities to to make conditional offers or uh, subject well, to cooling off. Yeah, February March 2020, we were seeing cooling off provisions being offered. Ah, oh. oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're seeing more of those on the contracts. Yeah, okay. And, yeah. And, and then people got their heads over that and, um, and Veronica will tell you the market went gangbusters again. Yeah. But yeah. definitely, depending what's happening in the market and what's happening yeah. overall, yes, it will happen occasionally. Outside of Sydney, you'll get offered it more and more. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, yep. look, you know, I know I've been now in it 21 years and there's been periods of time, slow periods where you can buy with a cooling off period and then then, then it's like forget it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's very much it's such a good point that it's all about market conditions. And, um, yes, look, Jenny, uh, what are some of the, have you got any little stories for us on, on the mistakes that first-home buyers make that you see a lot? Um, yeah, I did actually. So I think that they... They get very influenced by what an agent will tell them. Um, they, I think the most important thing for buyers at the moment to understand is that they should not be entertaining exchanging a contract or buying a property unless they've got pre-approval with a bank. Mm. Um, they've got to have pre-approval with a bank to be able to put themselves in a position because you can't make that contract subject to finance. And we're just seeing in the last 12 months the turnaround times with the banks, the lenders, has slowed significantly and there's a lot more boxes to tick with your lending. You need to do that first before you contact me uh, to engage on the legal fight and say, I found a property. Um, We always say don't start shopping until you've got your money in order. (laughs) Yeah, that's very important. And then just uh, understanding what the contract is uh, asking of you. You know, things like... like when I do a review, I look at things like renovations and that, but I also look at the list of inclusions because 90% of the time, the list of inclusions is missing something. Right. And yes. um, and people will go to do their final inspection and go, 
oh, the dishwasher's gone because the vendor wanted to take the dishwasher or um, they've taken all the light fittings or they've oh. taken all the TV, TVs and TV brackets off the walls and they've left big gaping holes in the walls. Um, you know, it just seems like I did a commercial purchase once where the, the stairs to the mezzanine level was taken by the tenant because the tenant's the one that built it. Um, <laughs> and so we go to do a final inspection and there's no access up, you know, and the just buyer a hole just in the ceiling. Hello, because no, yeah, anyhow. Um, I'm, I'm a bit anal about that. But another one is agent warranty. So you as a purchaser warrant under a contract that you've only been introduced to the property by the agent on the first page. So let's talk about an old, like a listing where a property's taken a while to sell. Oh, this is a good and one. And it may have, may have been listed originally with, say, LJ Hooker. And then they, their agency agreement was terminated. And then six months later, and you looked at it back at LJ Hooker days. Mm. Um, but you thought it was out of your price range. You didn't have your finance approved and you weren't ready to buy. And then it comes, pops up again with Bell Property and you're in a better position, and you go this time to Bell Property, that warranty catches you because Bell Property is named on the contract as the vendor's agent. But, in fact, LJ Hooker introduced you originally to that property. So you're, in fact, liable and you're warranting in your contract that you'll protect the vendor from LJ Hooker claiming a commission. Wow. So this is why you need someone who knows what they're doing. because you. It's a yes. big one. Yeah. You want so what that, that means is you could actually have to pay the commission. No, no, hang on. LJ no. Hooker's commission. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, potentially, yes. But the thing is, I've heard, I've seen this happen, and I will give you a story on this. Um, I've heard, though, that if LJ Hooker can't demonstrate that they actually actively worked with you as a buyer as opposed to you just coming through the door and they take your name and number, that it doesn't really count. Um, I, I've heard that, whether I'm rightly or wrongly, you've, you're pulling a face. So I'm, I'm presuming that I may be wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. But an agent's required to list who they've introduced to the property. Yes. So if I was acting for that vendor and I terminated that agreement, I'd be getting a copy of that list when I terminate that agreement uh, yeah. and I'll be so that if the eventual buyers on that list before the vendor even commits to a contract you want Bell and LJ Hooker agreeing on a commission split very good point and wow and, yeah that just blew my mind it's because the purchaser I would be saying if I'm acting for the purchaser I can't give that warranty Oh, yeah, this is very New South Wales centric. Let's let's oh, uh, just sorry. point yeah. out it's yeah. definitely no, not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In, in New South Wales, you do have a, a, a whole section of special conditions in every contract, and that's usually in, that's in the special conditions, right? Mm -hmm. that, that warranty, and some may not have it, right? Um, but I've had a lot of our clients sort of say, "Oh, but you introduced us to that property, so that's all right because you're paying us, and we won't be we won't yes, be charging right. the vendor. We're yeah. not the vendor's agent." Yeah. But yeah. I did go. This is just a story about an auction. Some years back so this is a woman who um she was a, a widow which is very sad and she had this property to sell in uh in Leichhardt and she came to me and it was a beautiful looking home but inside the floor plan was really bad like it needed a lot of work to to make the inside as good as the outside put it this way and she wanted a crazy amount of money for it. And I said to her, look, until your market wasn't very strong at the time, I said, until you're ready to meet the market, don't put your house on the market because the money you want, I don't think that it's going to get in the current market. So don't list it. 
So she went, she was a friend of a friend, right? So she was getting a little bit of free advice that she chose to ignore. <laughs> she goes out there. She goes and lists the property with an agent and goes through the whole whole uh, auction campaign, the whole bit, pulls it just before the auction because they don't have interest at the level that she wanted. She's not willing to meet the market. So, and she wanted like $2 million from memory, right? And there was a buyer there prepared to pay 1.7 something. And I knew the agent very well. And he said to me, I've got this buyer. She wants this property. She'll pay more than everybody else, you know, will for this property. But but the vendor is so out, out of out of you know, out of um, control with price that can't meet the market. So we're going to withdraw the market and and, and withdraw the listing and, and hand the keys back. So basically they resigned from looking after her. About a year later, the market's starting to look a bit better, but it's not massively different. She decides to list with another agent. And this is an out-of-area agent, sort of an old school friend of hers, um, not from that area. They go to auction at the auction and I go along just to watch and there's the original agent there bidding on behalf of this same buyer that a year earlier had wanted the property and here is there acting and bidding on her behalf it, it passed by this time she really needed to sell it and so passed in they went off they went inside and negotiated the whole palaver that ends up she pays less than she would have paid a year earlier so she's paid in the one sixes, hasn't even got to 1.7. She's the only person there at that level. So they're forced to negotiate with her. She pays less. The next minute, the, and there was, a, there was no clause in the contract <laughs> warranting her, um, next minute the vendor gets slapped with a, with a commission from the original agent. So the vendor actually got copped from for both commissions, sold it to the same buyer for less money, like whammy, whammy, whammy. So, mm. you know, and this I is not... that agent also uh, charged the purchaser a fee for helping her buy the place. Probably. Actually, I don't think he did, but he didn't no, need to. Yeah, shouldn't <laughs> have. But, so, but well, you know what they do, what they can do. <laughs> so, well, so, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, the, I mean, this is obviously not a first-home buyer story, but it does mm. show how complicated you know the whole legal aspect of things you know getting good advice and taking good advice I mean you should have taken my advice but <laughs> um she wouldn't have listed then put it that way she would have only had one agent because she wouldn't have listed it in the first place but mm -hmm. the point being she she obviously I don't know if she's the same lawyer both times I don't know what the story was but she she didn't have the right people on her team giving her the right advice and this is the principle is exactly the same you left her very exposed Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. war stories. Yeah. So that's... <laughs> yeah, and it's the same with Preston Building. A lot of buyers don't want to get pre-purchase inspection reports. But one thing they don't understand is the contract very clearly states you buy the property in the condition and its state of repair as at the date you enter into the contract, not the date of completion. Mm. So where you're wanting to save money by not buying Preston Building reports or strata records, um, you're taking the risk of not knowing as at the date of the contract what is going on with that property. Um, so for a strata, the most obvious thing is that there's a special levy about mm. to be hit because as soon as you enter into that contract, if that special levy was raised the next day, you're liable for it. Mm. Um, and I've had buyers do this where they've missed out a couple of times the agents ended up selling my, my, my client a unit in the same block that she had missed out on. 
she decided not to get a strider inspection report. She just wanted it done. She didn't want to have to go to any more opens. She got hit with a $60,000 special <sighs> levy Whoa. a month after completion because oh. the reports weren't checked. Mm. Okay, wow. and we would have, if we'd have been given the time, we would mistake. have negotiated that. And it's the same with pest and building. You know, you don't know, particularly with older homes, you don't know what the what's happening with under the subfloors. Mm. You don't know if there's a Up leak in the ceiling power. voids. Yeah, you, and mm. you don't know if this, they've put the dodgy insulation backs up there. You know, you've got to know what to ask and ask them before you enter into it. And understand that position. I think that's the theme of right this point. episode is knowing the right questions to ask. And in order to know the right questions, you have to get the right advisors, the right expert help. And there's no point getting a lawyer that doesn't specialise in property. In New South Wales, they're called a accredited property specialist, right? Um, or a, is that what they're called? Jenny, a yes. lawyer, that, yeah, it's an accredited property specialist. I presume in every other state they have something similar. And obviously with conveyances, avoid those cut price ones like your life depends upon it. Um, and look because to someone. Because it does. Yeah, yeah, it's quite, quite close actually yeah um and look for someone who's who absolutely specializes and takes the time to do the extra things like jenny does look at the link you know it's a really little thing in the whole scheme one, of but things. most don't most absolutely don't and then and then what, what 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 are the right questions for them to ask you if they don't at least eyeball the property online and if i mm. can't see it online i will say it in my review to my client I have not been able to see this property through any advertisement. So I'm relying on you to tell me what are the inclusions? Have there been renovations? Mm. Uh, have there been changes structurally to the unit? So that I can then ask those questions up to the other side. And don't forget that if I ask that question, say, that has, is there a special levy? Is there a current special levy or a likely special levy coming up that my clients are liable for? If a vendor replies no... Mm. and then that happens, but we've entered into the contract on the basis that the vendor has said no, you have a claim there because yep. the vendor did no, and so the vendor has dishonestly answered that question. So there are remedies, but you have to ask the question mm-hmm. to create mm-hmm. that right. And it's Good. the same when, you, when right. you're right signing a conditional contract in Queensland. You know, it's, it's, you have to know what things to put um, that the contract is subject to. On the contract. Mm. Yeah, if you don't put, you know, it's subject to a building a pest or subject to a flood plan or whatever, um, you know, you, you have no uh, recourse. You have no remedy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, oh. there you go. Some Pots of gold in, in today's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, many, many, many things to take away. Pots of gold and not pots of something else. So that's <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you've got a potty mouth too there, Jenny. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty tame, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Off air, it gets way worse. Yeah. Woo. Right. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. Really appreciate you yeah. spending the time to explain pleasure. this. Thanks for pleasure, joining pleasure, us, Jenny. If, yeah. anyone, if anyone had been uh, watching our Facebook lives when we were doing those before we launched the podcast, we did have an a, a, a almost aborted mission with you, Jenny, where we were, <laughs> I had you on the phone and I was relaying your answers. Yes. I know. It was, it, was technology. A, it was a comedy of technology and people who don't understand it. But, ah. <laughs> but we're here now. We're here now. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. 
In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.